Good day, good folks. You are listening to Talk That Keeps You Woke. And with your awakening, we hope that you will take in the information and knowledge we provide. So make sure you like and subscribe while you hop on this ride as we inform, persuade, entertain, and engage in discussion. Welcome to Potlicker Podcast, which is knowledge to feed your soul. I may go one half of Potlicker. I go by Dr. A, the inquisitive one. A great debater, Mr. Slow Talker, a rhetorician, and an all-around nice guy, and a member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. The other half of Potlicker is my homie, my dear friend for more than 30 years, Kim Parker Jackson Esquire, the legal one, Mrs. Creativity, never obnoxious, the gifted one, a terrific lady, and a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Well, 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 welcome to our first episode of Pot Liquor Podcast, which focuses on and explores current and social and political events, media, sports, entertainment, and societal practices from an African-American perspective. Our goal is to inform, enrich, edify, and entertain our listeners and viewers as we address these issues. We hope our discourse inspires our audience to engage with us. And with that being said, I'm going to say what's up to my partner. What's going on? How was your week? Hey, hey, hey. My week was great. Um, today, I spent a lot of time braiding my daughter's hair. And um, I think I'm saving myself a couple hundred dollars <laughs> by doing so. So yeah, I had a good week. Um, happy New Year. All that good stuff. How about you? Uh, I had an interesting week. Um, I had one more week off before we go back to school and deal with the children, uh, the students. Um, but I had a productive week, got a lot of work done, still got more work to do. But hey, this is our first episode of Pot Liquor Podcast. And as always, um, we start off our podcast with words of wisdom. And so the first person uh, we're going to deal with is Brother Malcolm X. He said, I'm for truth, no matter who tells it. I'm for justice, no matter who it is for or against. This is definitely Malcolm's sentiments after he made his uh, pilgrimage to Mecca. Um, Malcolm was a radical um, brother when he joined the Nation of Islam um, at first. The sentiments were like all white people are the devil. After he made his uh, trip to Mecca um, years later, he kind of changed uh, his philosophy. And uh, this quote right here kind of sums that up. I'm for the truth, no matter who tells it. I'm for justice, no matter who it is for or against. you have any words on that, partner? Nope. Malcolm made it plain and what else is there to be said i mean right is right and wrong is wrong so i agree with brother malcolm okay and let us move on so before we get started always we're going to start with our first plug and my partner is going to tell you about a product that she uses and that is very productive for her. So, okay. So, today I would like to talk about 
the Shea Moisture brand. And today I have Shea Moisture Raw Shea Butter Moisture Retention Shampoo. And it also has a deep moisturizing conditioner as well, Shea Butter Conditioner with sea kelp and argan oil. And this works really well on natural hair, which uh, I have natural hair. My daughter has natural hair and it just craves moisture. And this is what these products give to us. I have 4C hair, which is a tightly coiled hair, which needs a lot of moisture. So this works really well. Go get you some. You can get it at CVS, Walgreens. I get these uh, family size containers from BJ's myself. And this, this will last me for a good six months. Okay. And let us move on. Oh, what's going on? What's going on? So our first segment, as always, is the uh, what's going on. This is where we explore different current events that took place during the week or over the past several weeks. So Los Angeles, a land was given back to uh, a black family, uh, Bruce's Beach. And my partner, what do, what do you have to say about this whole story? I've always I've been interested in this story and I've kind of followed it since it first uh, became news. And I was happy to see that L.A. County did the right thing, acknowledged that this family was wronged and did the right thing and gave them back their land that was taken from them back in 1924 uh, by way of eminent domain. And the city took it because the neighbors in the area at that time, um, and this is a beautiful beachfront property, um, they, the, this family had created a resort there and the neighbors just didn't want them there. So the county just took this land from them. So I was happy to see that they acknowledged that that was wrong and that they created, they passed legislation so that this family could get their land back. Um, but I, I'm kind of torn because they haven't been able to hold onto the property and they decided to sell it back to the county for $20 million. So I just feel that because they lost an opportunity to create generational wealth, that this is not enough compensation for that. Even though they're being paid for the land, to me, it's just, I, I would rather see them keep it in the family but that's just me. What do you think about? Well, I'm not going to sneeze at $20 million. <laughs> I think that's a lot of money. And uh, you and I, we did look at the property values in that area. So I think they're getting the property value worth. But I do agree with you when I said there should be some punitive damages that might throw an extra 25 to $50 million their way. Um, but for the property, what they're selling for, what they're selling it for, I don't think they're getting ripped off. But I just think that there's uh, kind of no reciprocity in this case or no justice in this case. I think that 
uh, L.A. can do a little bit better and uh, fork over some more cash. Yeah, I hear you. And I think there's some justice, just not enough justice, because, I mean, I feel like even though they may or may not have been paid fairly for the, the land, that perhaps they, there could be a separate suit for the damages that were done to them because of um, the property that was taken away from them in 1924. But I'm torn with that as well because I don't want to. I don't want that to discourage other um, states from acknowledging their wrongdoings and then repairing them for fear that they may be sued. So that's where I'm kind of torn. That's where I am with it though. Mm, definitely. We going to, we're going to be following this. Uh, yeah. We're going to update our audience on like what actually happens at the end. Let us move on. Oh, okay. So on to our next story, which uh, was probably the biggest story this week in the United States. Yeah. We're going to talk about our brother, uh, Damar Hamlin. He participated uh, with the, in the game on Monday night, NFL Bulls. I mean, I mean the NFL Buffalo Bills played against the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, the game was in Cincinnati, and I think it was like three minutes or seven minutes into the first quarter, uh, T. Higgins, the wide receiver from – Cincinnati quarter pass and DeMar tackled him. Um, and I think T Higgins like helmet, like went into his chest. Um, I saw DeMar get up, but then seconds later, he just dropped down mm -hmm. and it, the situation got dire very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, they had called medical units from both teams out. Um, they have to um, do CPR on him to resuscitate him to get his to get him breathing again, and so they put him in the the ambulance. Came out, got him. They had to uh, use a defibrillator too. The defibrillator oh, to bring yeah. him back. Yeah. So okay, yeah. they had to do that. Well, that, yeah, okay, yeah, that's all part of CPR. Um, yeah. All right, so they put him in the ambulance, and luckily, you know. Like they said, God works in mysterious ways. The hospital was literally two minutes away from the stadium. So yeah. they got him into ICU quickly. But you could see the devastation on the faces of both teams, both Cincinnati, uh, the ones who were hosting the game, and Buffalo Bills. They were distraught. And yes. They had the, what the, the coaches got together. And finally decided that the game needed to be postponed. Nobody could go back out there with the certain amount of energy you need to play football. Right. So what were your thoughts this week? There was a lot of outpouring of love toward DeMar. There was. And I think I was with the country, right along with the country, just offering my prayers and um, just glad to see him pull through. Um, I think they also said this week that he was able to, he was, I think they called it neurologically intact um, because he, the first thing he asked when he came to was who won the game, even though he, he wrote it down, but he wanted to know who won the game, like a true competitor. That's what he wanted to know. And um, 
even now, I think they took him off of the life support because he was intubated and sedated and they took him off of life support and he's breathing on his own now. So I think that's great news. I think everybody was pulling for him. So I'm happy to see that he came through. Um, I mean, what what else can you say about it? I mean, and he also got $7 million in his uh, GoFundMe for the the fun he had set up for getting yeah. toys for the kids in Pittsburgh where he's from. Yeah. So I just think that's great. I mean, it just I think it this story just had the whole country just waiting with bated breath trying to see if this young man was going to pull through. And I think everybody's just relieved to see that he did. So this is just good news all around. It's a feel good story that America came together <laughs> for something, everybody seemed that we were all on the same page and all pulling um, for Damar Hamlin. So, yeah, I, th- I thought that was um, it was in good spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, what everybody did, uh, he received a lot of prayers. He thanked everybody for their prayers. You're right; he was off the breathing machine. He's talking. He addressed his team. He's talking to his family. Um, he had, you know, some words to say about the situation and what it could do. Um, I'm going to say kudos to the NFL for stopping the game and not playing it. I'm also going to say, you know, what they're doing now, everybody is wearing uh, Love for for DeMar T-shirts prior to the game while, while they're out on the field warming up. And so, like you said, it is a good feel. It is a feel good story. And uh, I'm glad the young man is doing, uh, you know, okay. But I'm not going to give too many kudos to the NFL because I think they were an hour and a half probably late with making that call. And there was some talk while the game was still going on and he was lying on the fi- on, on on the field trying to be resuscitated. There was some talk about the game getting started again and giving the giving each team five minutes to to prepare to play again. So the fact that that was even considered to me is just well, I'm not going to put that wrong. on the NF, put that on the NFL. The players were telling their teammates to get ready because they didn't know the situation at the time. You know, the tears weren't even out yet. They thought he just got hit, but then when they had to resuscitate him, then you saw the different look in the player's eyes, like this is different. And so there was no rallying on it. The NFL was called afterwards because they wanted to know what happened. Usually games, I mean, people have been paralyzed on the field, you know, and they continue the game. So they were thinking about it. Um, but I, I, I get the reason. Yeah. Yeah, when you think about it, he pretty much dropped dead. No, let's not. He dropped dead. He did. He collapsed and his heart stopped. You're dead. They brought him back twice. So my thing is, if somebody drops dead on a football field, there's no consideration. Uh, The the game is postponed. But I'm saying, I'm I'm just saying, they didn't know. They didn't know the gravity. They didn't know the gravity of it, and then he was resuscitated and put in the ambulance. So, I'm not putting. You can. I'm not going. <laughs> I'm not going to put this on the NFL because I don't think they knew all the details. And I think once they found out, and it was conveyed by both coaches about the team, 
then they said, okay, not even they, they not only postponed the game, they canceled the game. The game is not being played. They're not even revisiting the game. So okay. uh, I think that's the right decision. That could yeah. be something. And let us move on. Okay, we have another interesting story, which is really, <laughs> it was interesting to me. I don't mean to laugh at it, uh, but the Jim Crow Museum of Racist Memorabilia, and you can, say it's, you can see it says, using objects of intolerance to teach tolerance and something social. Promote social justice. Promote social justice. Yes. This is kind of interesting, <laughs> I could say, the story. I agree. I agree. Um, yeah. There's a lot there. Like um, This is on a, co- a college campus, right? This is also on a PWI campus. Um, maybe folks will say, well, Dr. A, that's where it really needs to be. Uh, it's in Michigan at Ferris mm-hmm. State University. Uh, the mm-hmm. curator seems, appears to be a brother, uh, Pilgrim. Uh, but they have slave whips, ch- chains, signs, mammies, pickaninnies, sambos, all of this. They say is not a shrine of racism or a shrine to racism. Mm. But it is a museum of racist memorabilia used to teach tolerance and promotion and promote social justice. Okay. So this is the use using Mm. objects of intolerance, right? Yeah. So if we're touring the museum and they were like, well, this is what they used to beat slaves with. And now they're like, Oh, okay. That was an injustice. I need to have more tolerance. Social justice because of like like I'm trying to understand the reason for that. Now some people will say, well, hey, you want CRT in the in the classrooms, at least at the collegiate level, then what is wrong with this? I'm not saying anything is actually wrong, but I'm just saying it is kind of weird. Yeah. What 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 are you getting? I mean, there are photos and textbooks that they refuse to show. Mm-hmm. Um, like people actually got whipped with these whips and were chained, and um, I don't know. And don't you think that's why this c- could be a good thing because it makes sure that our history does not get buried, and so it reminds people of what happened so that people can see the brutality of it, see how people were humiliated and denigrated and demoralized and dehumanized so that we can be different. (laughs) You know what I mean? So people can understand why black people are offended by blackface, for example. So people will understand that. So I'm, I'm, I can understand why somebody would be would not quite know how to feel about this. Um, the fact that it's on a, a white college campus, um, you may feel like we don't get to tell our own story. We should be we should be curating our own history, 
and sharing our own history from our perspective. Um, even though you said the, cur- the curator is a black a black man, the fact that it's on a, a a white campus, you can maybe conclude that there's um, some c- control that is not ours over over what happens there. But um, I think it, you know, even Jesus said, "Do this in remembrance of me." When we have first Holy Communion, or when we have uh, communion. Um, to remember his sacrifice that he made. So I'm okay with continuing to keep people in remembrance of what happened in our history. So that's why on one hand, I think this is, this is good. I mean, we should, we should, but I've always had a problem with the word tolerance, teach tolerance. I don't want to be tolerated. You know, I want to be just accepted. I want to be free to be who I am without obstacles, without, um, you know, being, uh, I don't know, harassed or, or treated, uh, in an inequitable manner. So I think I'm okay with it. I wish it was at Howard university or another HBCU, but I'd rather have it than not have it. Um, I guess the justification for it being at a PWI is like black folks, well, most black folks know about the history of slavery. Um, maybe not to the level of what was used and the different brutality that was inflicted among um, African slaves in the mm-hmm. United States. Um, I, I, I don't know. I think other things do a better job, like some movies, different textbooks, and discussions about them. Maybe documentary. Um, a documentary, I guess. I can't totally knock it. It's just weird. Like come in and you see all of this stuff. But they there are textbooks though, uh, with photos about uh the Jim Crow era. Um mm-hmm. and this is a Jim Crow museum. There was no slavery doing Jim Crow. So the slave whips. I guess they're saying a racist memorabilia and they're just calling it Jim Crow. But Jim Crow would be probably like the signs that they have, the picking in the movies and things of that nature. But Whips and Chains had been long gone. Um, but there still was hangings. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe some folks were still getting whipped. But this was an interesting story. That's why we wanted to talk about any other thoughts. No, I don't. That, that's all I have to say about it. All right. And let us move on. All right. So we're done with that. And we move on to First Marijuana Dispensary in New York City. What's your thoughts on this? I'm actually surprised that in New York, they're just opening their first marijuana dispensary. I know that they just legalized um, marijuana in 2021, I believe, but it just seems like, you know, in such a big city, in such a progressive city, there would have been one opened before now. Um, but hey, t- I'm I'm okay with it. I mean, I, I uh, full disclosure, I'm not a <laughs> a smoker at all, but. 
I yeah, think that for the legalization of marijuana. Yeah, because I'm for the decriminalization of it. I don't, you know, for so long it's been used to over, I think, over incarcerate black people. I'm also happy to see that in New York they passed legislation that um, allowed for people who have been affected by these this incarceration to benefit from the sale of marijuana. So I think they have prioritized uh, approving licenses for people who have been incarcerated because of marijuana. So I, I think that's fair. So I'm happy to see that. Um, but yeah, I just think, you know, it should, I think it should be legalized so that people aren't prosecuted for having it especially if you're not um, trafficking in it and evading taxes. So, Well, I'll go with the decriminalization of it. Um, I don't think anybody should get uh, locked up for it or arrested for it, but I still, I don't know how I feel about it being, I guess I'm definitely for medical marijuana. Um, mm-hmm. if it's helping you yeah um but yeah i don't really have big thoughts on it like you i'm not a weed head never been um full disclosure i have tried pot yeah life, but i've tried it no effect, not for me no effect <laughs> on me at all no um, effect you just didn't have the right stuff oh <laughs> uh, listen to you uh <laughs> may, may maybe you know it, it put me to sleep but every, <laughs> everything puts me to sleep <laughs> Uh, but it it did that but I was like "Mm, I can't you know the budget for it you know I just was like yeah I just don't like the feeling of being like being out of control like I don't I don't like that so drugs are not for me yeah and the fact (laughs) that it might be you know it could be a gateway drug, you know, that will lead to other things. That's another thing that fear that I feared. So that's yeah. why I stayed away from that stuff. Uh, but okay, so now we're going to move on with our second plug of the day, which is our brand plug. And that is about Nike today. Look, you can see I got some some kicks here. Mm-hmm. Bright little orange one right here. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Those are nice. Yeah. So these are just my workout stuff. Um, I also have. Like the nice cushiony socks that Nike has and puts out, um, definitely. Uh, you you can see like the padding in the in the toe and on the bottom. Oh, what are those called? I haven't seen those before. That I don't know what they call. Are they super comfortable? Like, they super comfortable, but they cost a pretty penny. How much do they like cost? Eighteen dollars a pair. Oh hell no. <laughs> That's the all hell no for the day. But like I said, to me, it's an investment in health. So if you're working out, you know, you, you your feet are important, especially as we get older. That's true. So you need something that is 
going to help uh, cushion the blow, especially if you're on the heavier side like myself. Um, <laughs> but you're working on it. You're working, you're working on it. On it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Make some progress. And here's some workout clothes, you know, yeah. dry sweat. And, and, okay. I, I like Nike too. So and the, and the pants that we I have. Now, I don't, you know. Are those compression pants? They are. And I don't wear them by themselves. I just want the public to know I, I do have <laughs> shorts over them. I don't go out there like that. So I I'm do sure have shorts over my compression pants that come down close to my knees. So, um, but they're very good, you know. Um, now, what do they do? What, what, what are those for? Well, blood flow or something. They help. That's one thing they do. They do help circulation of the blood throughout the body. Also, it's a comfort thing too. Like um, they're tight. So if you sweat in different areas and you have on like regular underwear that I used to wear when I was little, they would get like bunchy and you you know, like tighty whitey. Yeah, like though, even it doesn't matter. Any like underwear that's not used to absorb sweat, you know, it starts shrinking inside. There's a feeling of uncomfort, like you know, they're sagging in places because there's so much sweat water from their perspiration, perspiration. Excuse me. Um, so I remember when they went away from the jock strap to the compression shorts and then they came out with the pants and it, it, it also keeps your body warm too. Um, so they're moisture wicking. They moisture wicking. Yes. Okay, they they gotcha. call dry fits. Gotcha. Um, okay. And so it keeps the sweat off your body and onto the clothes. So yeah, mm-hmm. I definitely have like, nine pair i make sure i have something to rock every day during the week if i'm working out but i'm right now i'm working out six days a week uh next week when school starts it'll be back to four um so yes that is a product that i use uh i mean a brand that i use i've been a faithful and i know there's a lot wrong with nike (laughs) i I just want to say that but it's a brand i've been using for a pretty long time. So. All righty. And let us move on. Hey. So now we, we are going to bring in a guest, a frequent guest of ours, I might say. And today our topic, we're going to turn talk about maternal uh, mortality of black women. Um, I'll guess is Dr. Felicia York, who has a PhD in health communication from Texas A&M University. Full disclosure, this is uh, my girlfriend from 12 12 years. That's not a girlfriend. That's Thirteen. You can call it what you want. We are in a relationship, (laughs) and so welcome aboard. We're going to jump right into it. I just read something uh, from Tufts University. They launched um, a what did they they launched a a Black Maternal Health Center to address birthing disparities. And they said black mothers are three times likely to die 
doing childbirth than their counterparts. What say you? And welcome to Potlicker Podcast. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me again. Good to be back um, in this great podcast, informing you know our people about important issues. And this is definitely an important issue about mothers who are bringing life into the world and you know, who are um, uh, not coming out okay. Uh, I, I definitely agree and I welcome the work that um, Tufts is doing for our black mothers. Uh, recently, a report came out in Texas that uh, focused on the 2019 numbers. And again, it is still consistent that Black mothers are three to four times more likely to die from not just during pregnancy, but also after pregnancy than their white counterparts. So this is definitely still a trend and it has been attributed to the color of women's skin. Um, go ahead. You had, you, you were yeah, so um, to jump back in, they in the article, they said that... Uh, this is preventive mothers dying um, after they give childbirth. It is. And they also talked about what you just said. They mentioned structural racism mm -hmm. plays a part in it. Mm -hmm. Is it just physicians? And, I, and I've heard you say it's not only white doctors. Is it, is it just physicians not caring about black women or... It's not just physicians. It could be the person who takes your insurance card. It could be the person who takes your blood pressure. It could be the nurses who spend most of the time with the mother because for women who have had children before, the doctor may not be in there a long time. You know, if it's a C-section, then they will be in there longer. But it's not just, it is basically clinicians, we call them, which is healthcare providers. So they have these preconceived, there's three of them, stereotypes, um, discrimination, and uh, racism. Those are the three pervasive reasons why researchers said that these women experience this. And it's not, all the time is not purposeful. Like it's, there's this thing called implicit bias where a doctor has a lot of patience. So he doesn't, he or she doesn't have a lot of time. So they use these preconceived opinions that they have of African-Americans to move this process along. And that may not be correct because I'm overweight or because I'm not the weight that you think that I should be doesn't mean that I'm not taking care of my body. doesn't mean that I'm eating bad. You know, that could just be my law, you know, my big bones. Mm -hmm. mm. So, you know, it's, it's a culmination of things, but, you know, and, and people try to blame mothers, but the Hippocratic oath said that these doctors, these clinicians have a duty to protect their patients. So it is up to you to ask those mothers, what is it that they require? If these mothers say that culturally, I have to eat chitterlings on New Year's, you can say maybe only have a half a cup of chitterlings instead of a bowl. So there are ways that you can talk to them culturally. It's called cultural competence that these clinicians need to have when working with women of color, not just black women, women of color, you know, because it's their culture usually that, uh, you know, is being, um, 
that is affecting the way these doctors perceive them as, you know, following the doctor's orders. Okay, so I what what would you like to see um, happen at this center that was just opened at Tufts? What do you think they should be doing to resolve these issues and, and, and solve this problem? I think that, it, first of all, it starts in medical school because I have read articles that say that in medical school, students are still being taught that Black people can take more pain. We have thicker skin, you know, those kind of things. So I think it needs to start at the medical school, telling them that, you know, these um, these uh, old historical views that you have are not true. Secondly, we need to have a more diverse maternal workforce. We need to encourage, just like we do with STEM, encourage more people of color to become OBGNs because that is where your cult, the more of the culture will come in. Thirdly, have training of cultural competence. You know, show them that a Hispanic person may eat carbs with their tortillas and just teach them ways to eat healthier. You know, mm -hmm. there's this big craze of slutty vegan. So I think that this could be the answer to African-Americans' diets, you know, to find other ways to eat. So vegan, vegetarian, not have, use meat as a condiment and not as the main course. So to me, it's that core of who we are as people of color, that doctors who are mostly, most likely to be white, that they need to understand. But my research says, says that black doctors also have mm -hmm. a discriminatory view. So they need to be retrained also. And how much of this do you think is the education of, of black mothers? I mean, do you think that there's a component of this that should sort of uh, teach black mothers to be, uh, to be advocates for themselves and yeah. that kind of thing? I think it's a part of it, but they should not be blamed. Like, yeah. It is a part of it. They should be encouraged to advocate for yourself. But these doctors, nurses, phlebotomists, whatever, they went to school trained for this. So it starts with them. And I think that also, you know, black mothers or women of color, mothers of color do have a duty. But I don't think that they should be, you know, like blamed for yeah. things that happen to them. Because you can advocate for yourself, but if no one's listening, then it will fall on deaf ears. Fall on deaf ears. Kira Dixon yeah. Johnson, Serena Williams, Tennis Mobile. Like mm -hmm. she was, she told them that she had a blood clot. Yeah. Over and over, and they did not believe her. So, you know, like, what does that say? So, just a few moments ago, you were talking about the diet of maybe Latina woman and African-American woman. So is there a correlation with the health or the diet or the size of a woman and uh, the chances of um, maternal mortality? Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, if so, expound upon that. So if in the which I know the best in the African-American diet, it's high sodium, high fat, because to us, food is love. This is how we gather for the holidays. You say like 
for the holiday, all diets are off. You know, we're about to get down and have fun. <laughs> so if you have this attitude that this goes on more than the holidays, you come in with hypertension, you're overweight, you're, you know, like diabetes. So during pregnancy, these things can be exacerbated. So if you come to the doctor like that, look at what the doctor has to do in these nine to 10 months to try to get you through this. Like I've heard um, mothers say that this is the only reason why I changed my diet because I want my baby to be okay. You know, I, I want to be okay for my baby to be okay. So just imagine doctors can't do all that work in 10 months that you should have been doing 2018, whatever, you know, whenever you got pregnant. So it definitely has, it, it definitely is a factor. Mm -hmm. We can take that back to socioeconomic. Like I may, I may live in a food desert and I don't have vegetables to eat. My month, I cannot, the most expensive food is food that is healthier. I, I can't buy that. Mm. So can Ex explain to our audience what is a food desert. So a food desert is where you live in an area and there's a calculation that they do to say that you don't have fresh fruit and vegetables within this certain mile radius. So, and that means that you don't have access to get those foods within a certain mile radius. Like there's not a store or a, you know, an area where you can get those foods where they're accessible to your community. Hmm. Do you think the implicit bias comes from structural racism? I do. I, yeah, I do. I feel like. Or, or is it, I'm sorry for cutting you off, or is it the experiences that the physicians have, in, you know, uh, during their duration as a physician, like with certain um, mothers, like with black mothers and Hispanic mothers? It that could be that, but remember I said in, in medical school, they teach it. So these new doctors don't have, they probably never had a black patient before. So yes, it could come from the doctors in their past patients. It could from come from medical school. It could come from the media, what them, how the media portrays us. You know, this, this look at that man, deep woman king. Like she can take, like what she says she has a headache. It's okay, she doesn't need pain medicine. Did you see Viola Davis out there? That, that you know, that is where she comes from. No, like I may be strong, but when I'm in here complaining about pain, apparently I'm, I'm not faking, I'm not strong. I'm not strong at that moment. Okay. Well, that's firsthand from Dr. Felicia York, who is presently at the University of Houston. Any more questions, partner, for our special guest? No. Thank you, Dr. York, for giving us this very helpful information. Very welcome. Thank you all oh. again for having me. Any, any last words before we let you go? Yes, I just feel like I want my fellow women, my fellow sisters, my beautiful black sisters to be okay. Um, today at church, there was a gentleman who his daughter came to be Christian and his wife died 41, 40, 42 years old. Uh, and I don't know if it was from childbirth, but that just touched my heart and just made me want to just advocate even more for you know th this community of women who are disproportionately 
dying from maternal morbidity and mortality. So disproportionately doesn't mean more than others. It means in ratio to others. Okay. Anytime on this show, when people throw out some words, I just want people to explain. Can you just tell them the difference between uh, mortality and morbidity? Mm-hmm. More mortality. Think about mortal combat. You know, those games, that means you die. Mm-hmm. Morbidity means you have a condition that occurs during pregnancy or after that changes your health in, mm-hmm. in a negative way. So okay. mortal, think of death, morbid, mort- morbid, think of norbid, you know, think of uh, like something that is affecting you negatively with your health. The, the high blood pressure, the diabetes, the, the, the comorbidities that could lead to death. One quick question before we let you go. What are you presently working on? So, right now, I am trying to expound on my dissertation and I want to talk about those defining moments that I experienced when listening to these women talk about their uh, maternal health care experiences, specifically in Texas. Mm -hmm. So, I'm just trying to just not, not tell all the innuendos of my research, but what does that mean? Like when people read it, what, you know, what provocative tale can I tell them about what I heard from these participants? All right. Again, we want to thank Dr. Felicia York, the University of Houston, and we will give her a big round of applause. Um, she's a frequent guest of ours, and uh, all praises go to her and her work. Thank yeah. you, and we will see you again. I love having her. And let us move on. All right. So we move on to our last plug. And that is our podcast of the week. And we're going to start off with Math Hoffa's expert opinion, uh, in my expert opinion. This is one of the dopest podcasts that is out. Um, I love it. Um, It's very masculine. But I think it's definitely needed. It's one of the fastest growing podcasts out there, too. So you should, you know, check it out. Definitely listen to it. Um, Just a heads up. There is some language, foul language that is used. But if you can see your way through that and see black men discussion, discussing issues, even black women come on there sometimes, depending on their role in society he really they really talk to uh people that are in the music industry um and uh they talk about different topics um so i think you should check it out it's matt hoffer's expert opinion is that his actual name or is that like a no that's not i don't know his i don't know his real name did he used to uh be on the podcast with joe Biden? No, but him, Joe Buttons, and Queens Flip, uh, they definitely have started something. Those okay. are three of the prominent uh, black, uh, I would say, African-American male podcasts. I don't even think it's meant to be African-American male. They're just male hosts. Um, okay. Anybody could check it out. Um, 
and see what you said. But with that said, we're going to move on to one of our uh, Let us move on. favorite segments. Oh, hell no. We always do it for you two or three oh, times. Oh, hell oh, no. Oh, hell no. So the all oh, hell no this week goes to the cop right here who arrested Dion Robin, um, if I'm pronouncing that, that right. He is a Wall Street journalist, uh, a journalist for the Wall Street Journal. How about right. that? <laughs> to make it even more clear, he was out in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. He was at a bank uh, and he was asking customers that were coming to the bank some questions on how they felt about saving and things of that nature. I think some customers, what it is, went inside and informed the people in Chase Bank and they came out asking what he was doing, but he had already went inside and told them, showed them his credentials or what he was going to do. Now, I can say this, I'm an African-American male. It shouldn't matter how you dress, but sometimes you're going to bring attention to yourself. You can see, that's why I juxtapose the positions, the pictures I'm saying, the photos, I'm sorry, right there. Now, I'm all for this. So I don't want folks in the audience and listeners to get me wrong. The way he is dressed in his white t-shirt and his shorts and he had on sneakers, it's hot outside in Phoenix. I used to live in Arizona, so um, I understand the weather. Um, and he was approaching folks to talk to him. He, he was showing them their creden his credentials. So that might have like um, subsided the effect because as an African-American male, sometimes you got to be very, very careful on how you approach individuals. Mm -hmm. Just as a person, you might want to be careful how you approach somebody, you know, in the street. And I think, he, he didn't say in the article that he startled them, but I'm asking you, do you think it would have went different? Is there a possibility it would have been different if he would have been dressed like he is uh, to the left? Well, he explained that he was dressed casually because he didn't want people to think that he was selling something. And he didn't want to have on, you know, a suit or, you know, business attire because when he approached people, he didn't want them to think that he was selling something. That's reasonable to me. I, I can understand that. And, and, and as you said, if he's telling them his credentials and showing them his credentials, then, okay, if you don't want to stop and talk, that's fine. But why would you find it necessary to tell someone in the bank anything negative about him. Do you understand? What I'm, so I, I just, it's frustrating. It's exhausting. It's, it's as if black people can't do anything. It's now it's like, but th that, that's what I'm getting at. If you have credentials, right. Mm -hmm. um, you work for the wall street journal and you have a badge, what have you. It's, if you approach somebody and you say, excuse me, I'm a reporter with the Wall Street Journal. Do you have uh, a moment for some questions? You're telling them right away so they know that you're not selling anything. Um, so I don't know. Because um, in my mind, I'm thinking, 
was this intentional? Um, you can see his hair like is in twists in one area. It's in the afro. It's a white tee. It's blue shorts. He had on some black sneakers. So you mean he wanted to be arrested? I don't like- know if he wanted to be arrested, but maybe it was drawing attention. I don't know. I don't want to say I don't know the brother, and I think he had good intentions. I thought his questions were good, um, and it should not matter. And I want to state that. So all of y'all saying it don't matter what he's wearing. It doesn't matter what he's wearing. Um, um, but I remember Dave Chappelle had a joke when he was approaching a woman because she was dressed in a scantily outfit, and the lady says, like, I ain't no whore. I ain't no whore. What do you think? I'm a whore or something like that. And he was like, well, look at it this way. If I wear a cop's uniform out in the street and somebody comes up to me and says, police, police. And I say, oh, wait a minute. I'm not a cop. How dare you approach me as a police? But you're wearing the uniform. I'm saying to me, to I'm saying, ugh, not to me. I'm saying. I think there's a whore uniform? <laughs> No, no, I'm just no. Right, right. That's what Dave Chappelle was saying. I didn't want to say that. But I'm, I'm, I'm just saying. Like sometimes, I get your point. point. Sometimes you, you, it's a shame, but you have to be careful on how you approach people and what you're wearing. You know, you're more likely to sell lemonade, right? Dressed appropriately than dress inappropriately whatever the appropriateness is. So I I don't want to say he was dressed inappropriate, but I'm saying that it's more likely he was going to draw attention, negative attention, with the shorts and T-shirts on and the Afro with the black sneakers than he would have been in slacks and a dress shirt. And that just doesn't... Well... Yeah, I, I I I just feel like it would have been the same outcome because he can't change the color of his skin. He can't take his skin off. So to me, that that's what made the difference. I he could have had on a suit. I don't. I really don't think it would have made a difference in this case. I really, really don't. I mean, and and it, and and that wasn't even the issue of people being annoyed with him or going into the bank saying there's a a guy outside asking people questions, and which prompted them to call the police to me looking at the video when the police came is when the problem came for me, because you could tell that this, this police officer just had that arrogant, you know, attitude. Like I I'm telling you to leave and you need to leave now or else you're going to get arrested. Okay. You get arrested. You need to put your feet in the car. You need, I can stick your head in the car if I want to. You know, like you need to, leave. and he, he offered that he was going to leave. So it's like, okay, why not just let the man leave? Okay, I'll go. But that wasn't good enough for this officer. He want it's like he wanted to arrest this man and yeah. keep him from leaving the scene. It's just, I don't, I don't, crazy. I don't disagree with you on the officer's yeah. conduct, but the people going into the bank and telling the people at Chase is somebody outside that's asking us questions. I'm only going on my life experience now. When I wear a suit and tie, not that I'm not watched, because sometimes you go in with a suit and tie and you're dressed immaculately and they're surprised that you're in these spaces or these settings. Like, what are you doing here? 
I get that. Um, but I'm saying, and it's, I used to have this thing called relaxing whiteness, which I don't do anymore. Um, but sometimes you just don't need to um, have the disturbance. Sometimes you can do stuff to prevent that. And I'm not saying you have to, but I think this is the case where I think things would have went different. I don't think that people would have went inside to chase to tell them that somebody's out asking questions. If he was in his cornrows, which is still an African-American hairstyle, in a dress shirt and slacks opposed to, uh, even jeans opposed to that. So it was that why, that's why it was an interesting story for me. Okay. It is interesting, but I don't think there's anything you can do to um, disarm people who are offended by your presence. Uh, as a woman, you can't, as a black woman, you can't straighten your hair out of racism. I mean, you know what I mean? You can't straighten your hair enough so that you're not, um, I don't know, that you're not a, a you know, people aren't offended by your presence. It's, if, pe if people have a problem with you being black, it's not going to make a difference what your appearance is. That's, that, that's what I'm trying to say, bottom line. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's exhausting. But Let us move on. Okay, we're back to Brother DeMar Hamlin. Uh, <laughs> and so... This. this is our last segment and we call it give it up and so we're gonna give it up to damar hamlin um for just making it through yeah um, and coming out on the other side um the reports that we're getting is he is uh progressing He's doing better. He's talking to his family. He's communicating with his family. And he is communicating with his team. Our next wish for them, for him, to me, is to be fully recovered so he one day he can get back out on the football field and um, do what he loves to do, and that's play football. Mm, well... There was a, a lot of talk this week about the fact that he's only been in the league for two years and that he did, he does not have a vested interest in any type of pension or anything. And that if, if um, God forbid, he's not able to make the decision on his own about whether or not he can continue to play football, is he going to be okay? You know, and, it just kind of raised a lot of issues with regard to the NFL, their policies and how they treat the players. Uh, I think DeMar Hamlin demonstrated to us that how, that this is a really dangerous job that these players are, are doing. They're sacrificing their bodies. And in some cases, um, their life is on the line as he demonstrated to us. And for a player like him not to have that safety net of, okay, if, if, if I'm disabled, am I going to be okay? 
Well, what you're talking about is guaranteed contracts for the players, and the NFL doesn't guarantee contracts. Um, I don't think it's right, but I think that the guaranteed contracts may be a little different from what Major League Baseball and basketball has. Only reason I'm saying this is because this is a collision sport. People get hurt like every game. And it's hard to pay everybody. I think that they should work something out where a percentage of your salary definitely needs to be guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Well, they do that now. So, like, say, for instance, Deshaun Watson is the only one that he got a $230 million uh, guaranteed contract. Uh, but there's other people like, you know, they get $150 million guaranteed when their contract is $240 million. So that means no matter what, you're going to get that $150. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there should be some clause in there if you get hurt on the playing field where it stops your career mm-hmm. and you are a budding player that something should kick in where you get a certain amount of money, be it $25 million, $30 million, or what have you. I agree. Um, I think that can be there. Not if you get cut or if you have a simple injury. You know, like, I'm not, oh, I sprained my ankle. Yeah, you can recover for that and come back on the field. But if it's something to the level of... Career ending, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or even, like, concussion ending. Like, you got several concussions playing on the field, like real, that really disorients you. Um, that's shaky ground. I know that um, they're trying to prevent that. But I do agree with what you're saying. I yeah. do think that he uh, should be compensated, but I'm hoping that he returns to good health. Indeed. Uh, and I don't, if he's my, bro- my brother, my son, you're not playing anymore, son. No, sir. That's just me. <laughs> yeah, I, I get it. That's your opinion. But when your son is over 18, he can say, shoe fly, don't bother me. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's you know? true. Uh, so uh, it's hard. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I understand, like, what they're, you know, wanting to play. Um no matter what level you're at, like I broke my finger doing the game when I was playing, I just told him to tape it up because I wanted to participate. You know, I'm like, I I can take the pain. I don't care. I'm not even thinking about the pain. I'm just going out there and I'm wanting to play. If it's something wrong with my legs or my head, I get it. I would imagine, you know, that he feels the same way because he's clearly very competitive. I mean, he's in a hospital bed on with a machine helping him, him to breathe, and he wants to know who won the game. So you know, he's a he's a tough competitor. You know, yeah, so he definitely is. Well, we wish with, him the best. We do. With that being said, we will run down what we did today. So what did we learn? So first, we always start with our plugs, and we had Shea Moisturizer and Shampoo and Conditioner. Our brand was Nike. Our podcast was In My Expert Opinion uh, with Matt Hoffa. Stories we covered today was Damar Hamlin, 
the black family that got paid back from Los Angeles, the Jim Crow Museum at Ferris State University, and the marijuana dispensary in New York. Uh, our weekly interview was Dr. Felicia York. Uh, who dealt with maternal mortality and she did an excellent job if I do say so myself um, I all hell no went to the cop and probably the bank uh, that helped uh, apprehend uh, Mr. Dion Raguin arrested uh, for covering a story out in Phoenix and we gave it up to Damar Hamlin Okay, so me and my partner grew up watching Soul Train, and we loved the way the brother uh, Don Cornelius ended his show, so we kind of jacked that from him. (laughs) Rest in peace of Don Cornelius. And we end our show like this. In parting, we wish you love, peace, and soul. Yes, peace to everybody. We will be back next week. Remember... Like us, subscribe, um, become a viewer, and uh, engage with us. Take care.